You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, every Wednesday our staff gathers and we have a time of prayer and devotions. This week we did something we had never done before. We had a hymn sing. Never done that. And so someone developed a list of, of hymns, and we just began to sing, Great is thy faithfulness, the love of God, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And we sang about a dozen different hymns. I, I was surprised that I knew everyone, or mostly. Uh, I had known everyone. I'd forgotten some, but uh, it, it took me back. I mean, it took me way back. You know, some of my earliest memories were waking up in a church pew, <laughs> my face smashed against a hymnal, right? Sleep out of my eyes. Uh, we would go to church uh, Sunday morning. We had Sunday school. Then we'd have morning worship. Then we'd go home for a quick bite to eat, a bike ride around the block, and then we're back at church that night. If it's a normal week, we're back at church on Wednesday night. If it's not a normal week, which was quite often, you know, sometimes we would be there on Tuesday night because a missionary was in town, and that missionary would come and spend the night at our house. And sometimes we would have Friday night services, a special youth emphasis. And then there was a couple times a year we'd have revival services, which had services every night of the week for a week or two. And then every summer... We would meet for camp meeting for about 10 days, followed by boys camp or teen camp. Um, uh, my life was completely uh, surrounding the church. Now, I became a believer at 13 years of age. But even before I became a believer, I, I was drugged to church all of these times. Now, I, I want to be careful here because I, I, wanna, I want to contrast uh, what I grew up with and what we are experiencing now, not that what I grew up with, and some of you did too, but many of you did not, uh, not that it was ideal, but it was different. It was a day and age in which the church really had a lot more influence, was dominant in our, in our culture. I, I don't want to give the wrong idea as I compare the old to the new, because it can make the new look very, very bad, and, and that's not where I'm going because I think we can find a seed of greatness in what's going on now if we look for it and if we cultivate it. You know, if somebody says to me, oh, I go to church all the time, you know what that means? That means they go twice a month. I go to church all the time. And, and then if they're involved in a small group or they attend a class like the gospel dive that Brad talked about on Wednesday nights, we have six hours a month to see Christ formed in them. Now, if you come and you are not part of a small group, that means we've got two hours a month to see Christ formed in you. I don't know how you do that. I, I don't know how that's done. If seeing Christ formed in us is the most important thing we can do with our lives because we're going to live forever, then must we not attend to it more than we do? The American pace of life has become frantic. Today we sleep 1.7 hours less than we did 30 years ago. We have cell phones and laptops. We have TVs with hundreds, if not thousands, of channels. We're working more hours. 
but we're living less. Many people live their lives on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YOLO, Snapchat. And as a result of that, anxiety in our young people is is absolutely unparalleled in our history. Last, last year, I had lunch with the new president of Bluffton University. She shared with me the extreme anxiety of the freshman class, the first class that has entered the university that has only known internet connectivity. We are out of breath, and we don't know how we got here. We don't know what has hit us, and so we don't know how to dodge the next punch. This is life in the United States in the year 2021. And for that matter, we haven't even mentioned the pandemic or the divisive election cycle or the social unrest that has been thrust upon us. But in this environment, our church is slowly coming back together. (laughs) And believe me when I tell you, it's so good to see some of you. I'm seeing some for the first time each week and it's wonderful. And I believe it behooves us as a church to ask what we want to look like as we move forward together. You know, Nehemiah faced many similar challenges as he led a group of people to restore their lives by restoring Jerusalem. In a previous sermon, I mentioned that the opposition that that Nehemiah and the builders faced never goes away, and we'll see that today. It, it, it really ramps up when we study the fourth chapter today. The enemies of the rebuilding of the wall, Sanballat and Tobiah and others, begin the fourth chapter of Nehemiah with taunts. Let's look at it. They say, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Now they're only words, they're only taunts, but they're taunts by powerful enemies. And they have to be addressed. So Nehemiah addresses them. And he prays and he says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. So he answers their taunts with prayer. And and at this time, they celebrate a milestone. Look, it says, we rebuilt the wall till all of it, the entire wall uh, circling uh, in a weird circle, kind of a linear circle, uh, uh, Jerusalem has been built till half height for all the people worked with all of their hearts. What a success. The wall at half height, all the gates rebuilt. But the enemy's not done. The enemy fights back. Our enemies were very angry. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now their threat has been upped. Prior to this, they were just calling names, right? Sticks and stones might break my bones. 
But now they said, we're going to attack you. Now they add the element of, of violence. And it had an effect. In fact, look at the next verse. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers are giving out. And that there was so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Part of that strength giving out is the opposition. And part of it is the rubble. I showed you some slides a couple weeks ago of five, five foot square boulders that had been pushed down during the, the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70 and they still lie there. And to be able to remount those stones was a Herculean effort. And the enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them, these enemies, came and told us 10 times over, not once, not twice, not five, 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And now they have upped the ante. Now they're not just talking violence. Now they're talking the death, the murder of those working on the wall. I love the strategy of Nehemiah. He's already prayed twice. And now he, he, he launches into a plan. And it, it, if you were to look carefully at it, it's 11 different things. We're not going to cover each of them. But 11 different little pieces of strategy. He begins by, by saying to the, uh, those building the wall, don't be afraid of our enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember God who's great and awesome. Remember, his hand is in this. Remember, it is him who led us together. Remember the king's favor. And then he lays out strategy. For instance, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields, bows, and armor. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. And the, the, the work continued slower, but nobody was killed. And then he said, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. There was a piece of strategy. If they attacked one certain place, the trumpet would sound. Everybody run there. Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night. Don't go, don't go to your house in the village outside of these walls. Stay in. So you can serve as guards by night and workers by day. And then he closes this chapter by saying, neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes, which enabled them to finish this wall much faster. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Each had his weapon. Even when they went for water, they didn't go anywhere without a weapon. They were prepared. And so he lays out uh, specific stratagems to, to fight the threat of these enemies. 
Now we understand, if nothing else, from the study of Nehemiah, the power of prayer. The first message in the series, Jonathan covered um, how Nehemiah lamented and prayed for four months and how prayer has been an indispensable part of everything that's being done. You know, this Thursday, uh, all across the United States of America, we have National Day of Prayer. And for those who want to, our sanctuary will be open all day Thursday in, into the night if you'd like to come and spend some time in prayer. Also, at the UNOH uh, Convention Center on campus, uh, at 12 o'clock, a number of us as pastors are participating in the National Day of Prayer. I've got a topic and I pray for a few minutes and several other pastors do as well and we're praying together. And that's gonna be televised if you can't make it there and you wanna watch it. Um, but just as uh, Nehemiah rallied the people to pray, God is rallying us. And there are all kind of scriptures to remind us of who he is and the fact that he's not done. Here's one. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's pretty comforting, right? You'll never be left. You'll never be forsaken. Or take the words of Jesus who said in Matthew 18, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go back to look for the one who wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned some statistics that are alarming, that are sad beyond words. 75%, more than 75% of our neighbors, our friends, aren't involved in church at all. Less than 25% of us are doing what we're doing now, are tying into the biblical community of the church and are leaning hard into one another We've got work to do. You've got to see there's opposition here, right? Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and on our watch, he's persuaded three quarters of us not even to bother. Now, I want to give you one more scripture because there, there comes a time when we might have to talk about this. And Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 10. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The American culture has turned away from faith in Christ. And it continues to turn. What can you and I do to stem this tide? You know, I read a statistic this week that said less than 10% of the sermons in evangelical churches even talk about hell or sin or salvation or heaven. But sin is real. So is hell. Jesus warned about it all the time. 
We've got 75% of our neighbors who aren't hearing the message. And not the message of sin and hell, but the message <laughs> that they are loved beyond their wildest imaginations by their creator, God. So I have about a half a dozen words or little phrases for you as we mount some strategies that we do together to do battle. You know, for 150 years, give or take, the church in America has said, y'all come here, come here. And we've adopted the strategy of building big buildings on as many corners as we can find. And we've said to the world, come here. And yet Jesus said, go there, go into all the world. We can no longer afford the luxury of saying to people, come here. We, you and I need to go. The church is at its lowest ebb in terms of respectability in our culture. Now, I think it's still largely respected in Allen, Putnam, Hardin counties. But in our country, it has fallen into great disrespect. Some regions of the country more than others. The, the great Northwest, uh, it's a terrible situation. We've had some rather prominent Pastors, some celebrity pastors have fallen and fallen spectacularly and it's brought shame and ridicule to the church. It's nothing that the church can do as a program that we do together as much as what we do as individual Christ followers who represent him and represent him well. We will forever have wonderful things happening here, always. We want to invite people and we want to make it as meaningful as we possibly can when you come here. But we know this is not all there is. It cannot be. So I want to give you a half a dozen words that you and I would implement as we do warfare. The first word is who. Who? It comes down to each of us living our lives for Christ and being available to Christ to reach out to those around us. And it begins by identifying who it is that we want to represent Christ to. Now, before I even begin going down this list, let, let me say this is not some formulamatic, formulamatic um, diatribe on here are the seven things we each do and we will convince other people. It's not. This is about being a neighbor. This is about being Christ-like. This is about representing him. It's not a tactic. <laughs> it's what we do as followers. Less than 25% of our neighbors are in church any given weekend, and yet 55% of them pray every day. And 23%, making a total of 88%, pray at least a couple times each week. Our country is not without spiritual hunger. One statistic I read said that 35 million more Americans have begun to pray during the pandemic. 
that, that had not been praying before. We are in an, in an environment of spiritual hunger. The disconnect has been the church from spiritual hunger. And you and I have a role to play in how we bridge that gap. And it begins with who? Most of us are very busy. And most of us, if we've become very involved in the life of a church, have pretty much jettisoned off our pre-Christian relationships. We've become isolated. That's not what the Lord intends. And it's not good. So we decide who, now think for a moment, who in your world, in your life, do you, second word, invest in? Let me give you two things that are true. Number one, you cannot bring a stranger to Christ. Number two, no one becomes a Christian because they lost the argument. After the election, I got off of internet, off of social media for quite some time because I got so weary of reading the diatribes from each ideological camp and the arguments and the name calling. And I know some of these people, they're good Christian people on both sides of this equation. And I'm thinking, it's not affecting anything. People don't come to Christ because they lose an argument. They come to Christ because somebody loves them genuinely, wholly. We have to invest time. We invest our lives. We become genuine friends, not so we can have some way with them, but so we can be Jesus to them because it's the right thing to do. They might not come to Christ, but they may. We invest our time. We invest our lives. It brings us to the next word. We listen to them. We have two ears and one mouth. We tend to use them inversely. We tend to talk twice as much as we listen. But when we listen, when we really listen, when we listen and we say things like, you know, if, if, I, if I hear what you're saying, you're saying this. And they say, well, that's, that's it exactly. We're listening. When we do that, we learn so much. And when we listen enough, eventually we have the opportunity and we're invited to share and let them listen. Which brings the next word, compassion. We identify who, we invest in them, we listen to them, we pray for them. I could have put prayer as one of these words, but I hope it's understood. That's, that undergirds everything. We pray and we listen and we develop compassion for them. We learn to love them genuinely. We begin to hurt where they hurt. We begin to laugh about the things that make them laugh. Matthew 9 records Jesus going from town to town, village to village, and it said... And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And we have compassion as well. And then 
we can ask a strategic question. How are you praying? 88% are. And I think it's a higher percentage of those who are in the middle of pain or in the middle of a conundrum. Let me tell you how I learned to do this. As a young pastor, I had never had a class in seminary about here's how you call on people in the hospital who are sick. But I'm now a pastor and I had to do it. So you walk in and you say, hey, you're sick, aren't you? <laughs> in time, I learned to ask questions. And I would often say, if a guy's going into heart surgery or, or a lady's about to have a mass removed and it's cancerous, and I would say, you know, this is kind of scary, isn't it? They'd say, yeah, it is scary. And I'd say, can you tell me what in particular is scary about it? And in moments like those, they get very, very real. And then I would just ask more questions. And somewhere along the line, I would ask them, tell me how you are praying in this situation. You know, in all the years of asking that question, I've never had anybody say, I'm not praying. I never have. So they tell me how they're praying. And I begin to pray along with them, in concert with them. Let me tell you, years ago, we were evangelists on the road. We lived 10 years uh, on the road, 45 weeks a year. I, I look back now and I think, I don't know how in the world we did it. I don't know how my wife did it. Uh, she homeschooled kids and we did services every night and... And, um, but we had neighbors back at home. We'd get home every four or five weeks and then we'd take the whole month of December off. And I remember once being really convicted to pray for my neighbor and I, I began to pray for her in a way I never had before. Her name's Joni, she's still a good friend, we still pray together. And um, I, I remember the first time home after praying for her like for three or four weeks. And we were in the backyard and she was sharing with me a problem. And, and the, the, the thing that amazed me was the love I felt for her. I, I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced regarding her before. The fact that I had been praying for her allowed the Lord to develop this just great love for her. And I listened with more intentionality and and we came in the house and we were talking some more and, and, and I said, how are you praying? And she told me, and I said, would you like us to pray with you? And she said, yeah. And we reached out and we grabbed hands and we began to pray and nothing like this would have happened. Even though we were neighbors for three or four years prior to this, it just, it, it was so amazing what, what the Lord did there. How are you praying? And then follow. Just follow the Lord's leadership. You don't have to worry about what to say. We've already had the scripture there that said he'll give you the words. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. 
Just follow his leadership. Follow the leadership of the one who loves your friend more than you do. Now, it's important to live your life consistently. Sure. And some people say, I just want to demonstrate my faith, and that's good. But there is a time when we put words to it. And it's at that time we are guided by the Holy Spirit. And he helps us. And because we love them, and because we've listened to them, because we've prayed for them, they often listen with great intentionality. Again, this is not a formula for how to get somebody. We're not putting notches on our belts. We're loving people as you and I have been loved. We identify who? We have to. Because if you don't identify who, you won't do it. Who? One, two, three people probably the most. And invest in them. And listen to them. Have compassion on them. Ask how you can pray for them. And follow the Lord's leadership. Would you bow your heads with me? My Father in heaven, we pray as we move forward that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, that you will enable us to represent you well, to see Christ come to people who didn't know how much they needed him. There's some in this room, Father, who need you desperately. There's some in this room who are living far from you. I pray your hand reaches them. There are others in this room that give a couple hours a week and hope to become more like Christ, and I, I don't know how that's done. I'm concerned about them. Pray you'll talk to them clearly, boldly. Help us, our Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to challenge you today. If you're a two a monther, I want to challenge you. If what we say is the most important in our lives we back it up we put shoe leather to it join a group get over Wednesday night in the gospel dive if you're capable of leading a small group talk to me if you want to be in a small group talk to me you stand for a benediction to close you're invited to come down and pray I want to say that if you're going through something physically and you want some people to pray for you that the Lord's hand would be upon you physically then we'll be praying along those lines as well 
My Father in heaven, I pray your blessing upon these that I love and you love so much more. Dismiss them now in your great peace and grace and help us to become the people you designed us to be. Lead my friends clearly, resolutely. And may we all look more like you as we progress together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. I love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.